0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Seven Little Australians by Ethel Turner. Chapter 11 The Truant. He burst into Meg's bedroom like a whirlwind. She's in the old shed, Meg, and I'm not sure, but I think she's gone mad and I've had the awfulest beating and got nearly killed with the cactus for her and never told anything. She can't eat the corned beef either, after all. She's run away, and oh, I'm sure she's mad. Meg lifted a pale, startled face from the pillows. Who on earth? What? Judy, he said and burst into sobs. She's in the shed, and I think she's mad. Meg got slowly out of bed, huddled on some clothes, and even then, utterly disbelieving the wild story, went downstairs with him. "'In the hall they met their father, who was just going out. "'Are you better?' he said to Meg. "'You should have stayed in bed all day. "'However, perhaps the air will do you more good.' "'Yes,' she said mechanically. "'I'm going out for the rest of the day. "'Indeed, I don't expect either Esther or myself will be back till tomorrow morning.' "'Yes,' repeated Meg. "'Don't let the children blow the house up, and take care of yourself. "'Oh, and send Bunty to bed without any tea. "'He's had enough for one day, I'm sure.' "'Yes,' said the girl again, only taking in the import of what the last pledged to her when Bunty whispered a fierce, "'Sneak!' at her elbow. Then the dog-cart rattled up, and the captain went away, to their unspeakable relief. "'Now what is this mad story?' Meg said, turning to her small brother. "'I suppose it's one of your untruths, you bad little boy.' "'Come and see,' Bunty returned, and he led the way through the paddocks." Halfway down they met Pip and Nell, returning earlier than expected from the fishing expedition. Nellie looked sad, and was walking at a respectful distance behind her brother. "'You might as well take a phonograph with you as Nellie,' he said, casting a look of withering scorn on that delinquent. "'She talked the whole time, and didn't give me a chance of a bite.' "'Judy's home!' said Bunty, almost bursting with the importance of his knowledge." "'No one's seen her but me. "'I've nearly got killed with climbing up cactuses "'and into windows and things, "'and I've had thrashings from father and everything. "'But I never told a word, did I, Meg? "'I've got her up in the shed here, "'and I went and got corned beef and everything. "'Just you look at my legs!' "'He displayed his scars proudly. "'But Meg hurried on, "'and Pip and Nell followed in blank amazement. "'At the shed they stopped. "'It's a yarn of bunty's,' Pip said contemptuously. "'Tis an April the first yet, my son.' "'Come and see!' Bunty returned, swarming up. Pip followed and gave a low cry. Then Meg and Nell, with rather more difficulty, scrambled up, and the scene was complete. The delirium had passed, and Judy was lying with wide-open eyes, gazing in a tired way at the rafters. She smiled up at them as they gathered round her. "'If Muhammad won't come to the mountain,' she said, and then coughed for two or three minutes. "'What have you been doing, Jew, old girl?' "'Pip said, with an odd tremble in his voice. "'The sight of his favourite sister, thin, hollow-cheeked, exhausted, "'was too much for his boyish manliness. "'A moisture came to his eyes. "'How'd you come, Jew?' he said, blinking it away. "'And the girl gave her old, bright look up at him. "'Sure, and they keep no pony but shanks at school,' she said. "'Were you after thinking I should charter a balloon?' "'She coughed again. "'Meg dropped down on her knees and put her arms round her little thin sister.' Judy, she cried. Oh, Judy, Judy, my dear, my dear. Judy laughed for a little time and called her an old silly, but she soon broke down and sobbed convulsively. I'm so hungry, she said at last pitifully. They all four started up as though they would fetch the stores of Sydney to satisfy her. Then Meg sat down again and lifted the rough curly head on her lap. "'You go, Pip,' she said, and bring wine and a glass, and in the meat-safe there's some roast chicken. I had it for my lunch, and Martha said she would put the rest in there till tea. And be quick, Pip.' "'My word!' said Pip to himself, and he slipped down and flew across to the house. "'Upon my word!' said Martha, meeting him in the hall five minutes later. A cut-glass decanter under his arm, a wine-glass held in his teeth by the stem— "'a dish of cold chicken in his hand, "'and bread and butter in a little stack beside the chicken. "'Upon my word! "'And what next might I ask?' "'Oh, shut up and hang your grandmother,' said Pip, brushing past her, "'and going a circuitous voyage to the shed, "'lest she should be watching. "'He knelt down beside his little sister "'and fed her with morsels of chicken and sips of wine, "'and stroked her wild hair, "'and called her old girl fifty times "'and besought her to eat just a little more.' "'and a little more.' "'And Judy, catching the look in the brown, wet eyes above her, "'ate all he offered, though the first mouthful nearly choked her. "'She would have eaten it if it had been Elephant's Hide, "'seeing she loved this boy better than anything else in the world, "'and he was in such distress. "'She was the better for it, too, "'and sat up and talked quite naturally after a little time. "'You shouldn't have done it. "'You shouldn't really, you know, old girl. "'And what the Governor will say to you beats me.' "'He won't know,' she answered quickly. "'I'd never forgive whoever told him. "'I can only stay a week. "'I've arranged it all beautifully, "'and I shall live here in this loft. "'Father never dreams of coming here, "'so it will be quite safe, "'and you can all bring me food. "'And then after a week,' she sighed heavily, "'I must go back again.' "'Did you really walk all those miles just to see us?' "'Pip said, and again there was the strange note in his voice.' "'I got a lift or two on the way,' she said. "'But I walked nearly all of it. "'I've been coming for nearly a week.' "'How could you do it? "'Where did you sleep, Judy? "'What did you eat?' Meg exclaimed in deep distress. "'I nearly forget,' Judy said, closing her eyes again. "'I kept asking for food at little cottages, "'and sometimes they asked me to sleep, "'and I had three and six. "'That went a long way. "'I only slept outside two nights, "'and I had my jacket then.' Meg's face was pale with horror at her sister's adventure. Surely no girl in the wide world but Judy Woolcott would have attempted such a harebrained brained project as walking all those miles with three and six in her pocket. "'How could you?' was all that she could find to say. "'I hadn't meant to walk all the way,' Judy said with a faint smile. "'I had seven shillings and a bit of paper in my pocket, as well as the three and six, and I knew it would take me a long way in the train.' "'but then I lost it after I'd started, and I didn't believe in going back just for that. "'So of course I had to walk.' "'Meg touched her cheek softly. "'It's no wonder you got so thin,' she said. "'Won't the Miss Buttons be raising a hue and cry after you?' Pip asked. "'It's a wonder they have not written to the painter to say you have skidaddles. "'Oh, Marion and I made all that safe,' Judy said, with a smile of recollective pleasure." Marion's my chum, you see, and does anything I tell her, and she lives at Katoomba. Well, said Meg, mystified as her sister paused. Well, you see, a lot of the girls had the measles, and so they sent Marion home, for fear she should get them. And Marion's mother asked for me to go there, too, for a fortnight, and so Miss Burton wrote and asked father could I, and I wrote and asked couldn't I come home instead for the time. He never told us, Meg said softly. No, I suppose not. Well, he wrote back and said no to me, and yes to her. So one day they put us in the train safely, and we were to be met at Katoomba. And the thought jumped into my head as we went along. Why ever shouldn't I come home on the quiet? So I told Mary, and she could explain to her people I had gone home instead, and she was to be sure to make it seem all right, so they wouldn't write to Miss Button. And then the train stopped at Blackheath, and I jumped straight out, and she went on to Katoomba, and I came home, that's all. "'Only, you see, as I'd lost my money, there was nothing left for it but to walk.' "'Meg smoothed the dusty, tangled confusion of her hair. "'But you can't live out here for the week,' she said in a troubled voice. "'You've got a horrid cough with sleeping outside, and I'm sure you're ill. "'We shall have to tell Father about it. "'I'll beg him not to send you back, though.' "'Judy started up, her eyes aflame.' "'If you do,' she said, "'if you do, I will run away this very night "'and walk to Melbourne or Jerusalem "'and never see any of you again. "'How can you, Meg? "'After I've done all this just so he wouldn't know. "'Oh, how can you?' "'She was working herself up "'into a strong state of excitement. "'Why should I be simply packed back again tomorrow? "'You know I would, Meg. "'Shouldn't I now, Pip, "'and get into a fearful row at school into the bargain? "'My plan is beautifully simple.' After I've had a week's fun here with you, I shall just go back. You can all lend me some money for the train. I shall just meet Marion at Katoomba on the 25th. We shall both go back to school together, and no one will be a bit the wiser. My cough's nothing. You know I often do get coughs at home, and they never hurt me. As long as you bring me plenty to eat and stay with me, I'll be all right. The rest and food and home faces had done much already for her. Her face looked less pinched, and a little more wholesome colour was creeping slowly into her cheeks. Meg had an uncomfortable sense of responsibility, and the feeling that she ought to tell someone was strong upon her, but she was overruled by the others in the end. "'You couldn't be so mean, Meg,' Judy had said warmly when she had implored to be allowed to tell Esther. "'Such a blab,' Bunty had added. "'Such an awful sneak,' Pip had said. So Meg had held her tongue but was exceedingly unhappy end of chapter 11 chapter 12 swish swish on the fourth day of judy's residence in the loft martha tomlinson remarked to her fellow servant and sufferer bridget that she believed them blessed children were in a conspiracy to put her over the river Bridget's digestion was impaired that morning, and she merely remarked that she supposed the dear little things only felt a desire to see her in her proper place. I should explain to you, perhaps, that over the river meant Gladesville, which is Sydney's Colney hatch. Many things had led the unhappy Martha to a belief in this conspiracy. For instance, when she went to make Pip's bed as usual one morning, all the bedclothes had gone— The white counterpane was spread smoothly over the mattress, but there was absolutely no trace of the blankets, sheets and pillows. She hunted in every possible and impossible place, questioned the children and even applied to Esther, but the missing things could not be found. "'There's a man in corduroy trousers hanging round here every night,' Pip said, gloomily regarding his stripped bed. "'I shouldn't wonder if he had something to do with it.' Which suggestion was distinctly unkind, seeing the man in corduroy trousers was Martha's most ardent and favoured admirer. The next day the washing-basin in Meg's room went, and after that a chair from the nursery, and a strip of carpet from the top landing, not to mention such small things as a teapot, a spirit-lamp, cups and plates, half a horn, and a whole baking of gingerbread nuts. The losses preyed upon Martha, for the things seemed to disappear while the children were in bed and though she suspected them and watched them continually, she could get no clear proof of their guilt, nor even find any motive for them abstracting such things. After the disappearance of each fresh article, Pip used to ask whether the corduroy-trousered gentleman had been to the house the night before. And as it always happened, that he had, Martha could do nothing but cast a wrathful glance at the boy and flounce from the room. One night the little chess table from the nursery was spirited away. "'Pip fell upon Martha's neck the next morning early as she was sweeping the carpet "'and affected to be dissolved in tears. "'We never prized the violet,' he said in broken tones. "'Ah, oh, Martha, Martha, we never felt what a treasure we had in you till now, "'when your days with us are numbered. "'Get along with you,' she said, hitting out at him with the broom-handle. "'And I ain't a-going to leave, so don't you think it. "'You'd have it your own way then, too much.' No, you don't get shut of Martha Tomlinson just yet, young man. But won't he be wanting you, Martha? he said gently. His furnishing must be nearly finished now. He's not taken a saucepan yet, nor a flat iron, I know, but there's everything else, Martha. And I don't mind telling you in confidence I'm thinking of giving you a flat iron myself as a wedding present, so you needn't wait till he comes for that. "'Get out with you!' said Martha again, thrusting the broom-head right into his face, and nearly choking him with dust. "'It's a limb of the old gentleman himself, you are!' Away in the loft things were getting very comfortable. A couple of rugs hung on the walls kept out the draught. Judy's bed, soft and warm, was in a corner. She had a chair to sit in, a table to eat at, even a basin in which to perform her ablutions. And she had company all day, and nearly always all night.' Once Meg had stolen away after fastening her bedroom door, and had shared the bed in the loft. Once Nellie had gone, and the other night Pip had taken a couple of blankets and made himself a shakedown among the straw. They used to pay her visit at all hours of the day, creeping up the creaking ladder one after the other whenever they could get away unnoticed. The governess had, as it happened, a fortnight's holiday to nurse a sick mother, so the girls and Bunty had no demands on their time. "'Pip used to go to school late and come back early, cajoling notes of excuse whenever possible out of Esther. "'He even played the truant once and took a caning for it afterwards quite good-humouredly. "'Judy still looked pale and tired, and her cough was rather troublesome, "'but she was fast getting her high spirits back and was enjoying her adventure immensely. "'The only drawback was the cribbed, cabined and confined space of the loft.' "'You will have to arrange things so that I can go for a run,' she said one morning, in a determined manner. "'My legs are growing shorter, I am sure, with not exercising them. "'I shall have forgotten how to walk by the end of the week.' "'Pip didn't think it could be done. "'Meg besought her to run no risks, but Bunty and Nell were eager for it. "'Meg could talk to father,' Bunty said, "'and Pip could keep teasing General till Esther would be frightened to leave the room.' "'and then me and Judy would nick down and have a run "'and get back before you let them go.' "'Judy shook her head. "'That would be awfully stale,' she said. "'If I go, I shall stay down some time. "'Why shouldn't we have a picnic down at the river?' "'Oh, yes, let's!' Bunty cried with sparkling eyes. "'I'm sure we could manage it, especially as it's Saturday "'and Pip hasn't to go to school,' Judy continued, "'thinking it rapidly out. Two of you could go and get some food.' "'Tell Martha you're all going for a picnic, she'll be glad enough not to have dinner to set, then you go on. Two others can watch if the coast's clear while I get down and across the paddocks, and once we're at the corner of the road we're safe.' It seemed feasible enough, and in a very short time the preparations were all made. Pip was mounting guard at the shed and had undertaken to get Judy safely away, and Bunty had been stationed on the back veranda to keep cave and whistle three times if there was any danger. He was to wait for a quarter of an hour by the kitchen clock, and then, if all was well, to bring the big billy and a bread-loaf and catch the others up on the road. It was slow work waiting there, and he stood on one leg like a meditative fowl, and reviewed the events of the last few exciting days. He had a depressed feeling at his heart, but why he could hardly tell. Perhaps it was the lie he had told his father— and which was still unconfessed, because the horse was seriously lame, and his courage oozed away every time he thought of that riding-whip. Perhaps it was the reaction after the great excitement, or it may have been a rankling sense of injustice at the small glory his brave deeds on Judy's behalf evoked from the others. They did not seem to attach any importance to them, and indeed laughed every time he alluded to them or drew public attention to his scars." Two or three of the scratches on his legs were really bad ones, "'and while he was standing waiting he turned down his stockings "'and gazed at these with pitying eyes and something like a sob in his throat. "'Nobody cares,' he muttered, "'and one of his ever-ready tears fell splashing down on one extended bare leg. "'Judy likes Pip best, and he never climbed the cactus. "'Meg thinks I tell stories, and Nellie says I'm a greedy pig. "'Nobody cares.' "'another great fat tear gathered and fell. "'Have you taken root there?' a voice asked. "'His father, smoking at the open French window, had been watching him, "'and marvelling at his rare and exceeding quietness. "'Bunty started guiltily and pulled up his stockings. "'I'm not doing nothing,' he said aggrievedly after a minute's pause. "'Bunty always lapsed into evil grammar when agitated. "'Nothing at all. I'm going to a picnic.' "'Ah, indeed.' "'said the captain. "'You looked as if you were meditating on some fresh mischief "'or sorrowing over some old. "'Which was it?' "'Bunty turned a little pale, "'but remarked again that he wasn't doing nothing. "'The captain felt in a lazy, teasing mood, "'and his little fat, dirty son was the only subject near. "'Suppose you come here and confess every bit of mischief "'you've done this week,' he said gravely. "'I've the whole morning to spare, "'and it's time I sorter of your morals a little.' "'Bunty approached the arm of the chair indicated, but went whiter than ever. "'Ah, now we're comfortable. "'Well, there was stealing from the pantry on Tuesday. "'That's one,' he said encouragingly. "'Now, then.' "'I i never did nothing else,' Bunty gasped. "'He felt certain it was all over with him, and the cricket-ball episode was discovered. "'He even looked nervously round to see if the riding-whip was near. "'Yes, there was Esther's silver-topped one flung carelessly on a chair.' He found time to wish fervently Esther was a tidy woman. Nothing at all, Bunty. On your word, said his father in an impressive tone. I was playing marbles, he said in a shaking voice. How could I have shot anything at your old horse? Horse, ah, said his father. A light broke upon him and his face grew stern. What did you throw at Mazeppa to lame him? Answer me at once. Bunty gave a shuddering glance at the whip. Nothing, he answered. Nothing at all. My cricket ball was up in the stables. I I was only playing marbles. The captain gave him a little shake. Did you lame Mazeppa with the cricket ball? He said sternly. No, I I never, Bunty whispered white to the lips. Then semi-repentance came to him and he added, It just rolled out of my pocket and and Mazeppa was passing and hit his leg on it. Speak the truth, or I'll thrash you within an inch of your life," the captain said, standing up and seizing Esther's whip. "Now then, sir, was it you lamed Mazeppa?" "Yes," said Bunty, bursting into a roar of crying and madly dodging the whip. Then, as the strokes descended on his unhappy shoulders, he filled the air with his familiar wail of, "Twasn't me, twasn't my fault." "You contemptible young cur," said his father. "'pausing a moment when his arm ached with the wielding of the whip. "'I'll thrash this mean spirit of lying and cowardice out of you, "'or kill you in the attempt. "'Swish, swish. "'What sort of man do you think you'll make? "'Swish, swish. "'Telling lies just to save your miserable skin. "'Swish, swish, swish, swish. "'You've killed me! Oh, you've killed me! I know you have!' "'yelled the wretched child, squirming all over the floor. "'Twasn't me! "'Twasn't my fault! Hit the others some!' "'Swish, swish, swish. "'Do you think the others would lie so contemptibly? "'Philip never lied to me. "'Judy would cut her tongue out first. "'Swish, swish, swish. "'Going to a picnic, are you? "'You can picnic in your room till tomorrow's breakfast. "'Swish, swish, swish. "'Pah, get away with you!' Human endurance could go no further. The final swish had been actual agony to his smarting, quivering shoulders and back. He thought of the others, happy and heedless, out in the sunshine, trudging merrily off to the river, without a thought of what he was bearing, and his very heart seethed to burst in the hugeness of its bitterness and despair. "'Judy's home,' he said in a choking, passionate voice. "'She lives in the old shed in the cow paddock. (laughs) They're keeping it secret from you. She's gone to the picnic, and she's run away from school.' End of chapter 12